so you want to be a butcher? I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in it. He goes, fantastic. You can start tomorrow at two. And I was like, I was like, wow, two o'clock. That's a late start. He goes, late. I always thought it was early. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? He's like, 2 a.m., mate. We're starting at 2 a.m. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A yearning to have a deeper connection to food can open the most unexpected doors and lead you down a path you hadn't even considered. As Marcus Papadopoulos completed a university degree, he felt something wasn't quite right. When looking to do something more fulfilling, he landed a job with Vic's Meats, and the skills and knowledge he garnered gave him the confidence to embark on his own journey and open a butchery focused on whole carcasses and ageing meats. Marcus, there's been a real renaissance of the local butcher in the last five to ten years. Why do you think that's happened? Well, I think that uh, I've, I've been in the industry now for, for six years, and I think that right when I came in, the reason why I was interested to come into butchery in the first place is because, uh, in general, a lot of people are getting more interested in food, and that's all through different types of media, whether that be what people are seeing on television, um, social media, things like Instagram, Facebook. Uh, a lot more people were putting their eye on food and uh, part of putting their eye on food was putting their eye on the artisans that either produce the food, cultivate the food, or any of the preparations that require a real uh, tradesman and artisan to be able to produce like a butcher. What, what was it about butchery that uh, lured you into a career in it? Well, to be honest, I was, I was interested in doing something with food. Um, I was a shithouse cook. I couldn't really cook anything. And I had, uh, I had honestly very, very little experience with cooking food, let alone uh, any sort of knowledge about food. I just wanted to learn some sort of trade. And food was really interesting to me. And I'd always gone to butcher shops, had no idea what I was looking at, no idea what I was buying, but I was uh, encapsulated by it. I really liked the idea that these guys, they obviously possess some sort of knowledge and some sort of, some sort of trade that heaps of people had no idea about. And it was both essential to, to what I was going to eat at home and what so many people were going to eat at home as a family, but also essential to the whole food industry in general. You know, it, if anybody's cooking meat, whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's at home, it's gone through the hands of a butcher. Take us back to when you were young. What's, what sort of role did food play in your family when you were a kid? Mate, to be honest, uh, my family, we all loved food and we all smashed food and ate it, but nobody really had an, an appreciation for for food and for produce. It wasn't really like that in my family. You know, we, we all loved to have barbecue. We all loved to cook stuff on the charcoal. You know, we got together and we always ate food together as a family, but we... Uh, there was no real uh, going that extra step, you know. Nobody was making bread. Nobody was uh, going to buy fresh produce. Everyone was buying things from Woolworths, you know, uh, for, whatever. It was very simple kind of family life. But I always loved eating food. And when I, uh, I left home quite early, I left home at 17. And when I did that, I was very much thrown in the depths of cooking my own food. 
you know, and that's really what got me excited about it. I, uh, I love the independence of living alone. And uh, well, I didn't live alone. I lived with my partner, Amina, and I love the independence of that and taking care of myself. And uh, that's how I really got interested in food, you know, just just cooking at home and, and and reading books and watching what was on TV and going to the shops for myself and having to buy produce and figure out what am I going to do with it? You know, I've got no clue here and kind of figured it out that way. Well, tell us about the beginning when you first started into butchery. Do you remember your first day? Yeah, I do, mate. I uh, So... I was actually at university, and when I finished my university degree, I had already decided that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something else, and uh, I just applied to work at a butcher shop as an apprentice, and I was very much under the impression that uh, I had a a feeling like chefs and people that worked in the food world were true artists, and I knew that there was food out there that was just made by people that make food, but there was a lot of people out there that put their heart and soul and passion into what they do. And uh, I was under the belief that butchery was the same. Uh, and I was, I was quickly, I was quickly shown that, that that's not often the case. Uh, unfortunately in the butchery trade, there is a lot of people that have fallen into the trade, whether that's by, uh, you know, maybe their parents were butchers or it's in their family line, or they were, they were fell into a trade that it could have been any other trade. They could have been a mechanic. They could have been, uh, they could have been a sparky. They just happened to be a butcher, right? There was a lot of that. And I got thrown into the middle of that. Uh, and, uh, I was surrounded by a lot of people that honestly, um, really kind of depressed me with their situation. They, uh, I was very, very surprised at these butchers that I was working with. And meanwhile, I'm not even a butcher. I'm an apprentice. I got, you know, I'm as green as, as anything here. And, uh, these guys don't even take meat home and cook it. You know, they're not even interested in cooking meat. They're not even interested in doing anything other than taking a couple of lamb cutlets or a few sausages. And for me, I got into the trade because I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn this uh, this really coveted skill that honestly I, I didn't even know any butchers, you know. Um, so I, I, I started working in a place that was very, very depressing and I kind of hated my life. And um, what actually happened was uh, my, my family um, on my mum's side, they're Croatian and they knew through some friends uh, the Paharic family that owns Vic's Meats. And uh, a friend of ours, who's one of my grandfather's best friends, uh, his name was Savo. He he said, oh, I know this guy, Vic. Vic has a job. He's always looking for butchers. Do you want to meet him? I was like, yeah, sure. I had I had no idea about Vic's meat at this point. And I'd only been working it as an apprentice for, for like, uh, honestly, two, three weeks. So uh, he takes me over to the factory to meet Vic. And I, I thought they uh, it was a butcher shop, was Vic's Meats, right? And they took me over to the factory. I had no idea where I was going or who I was meeting. And they take me, I don't know if you've ever been to Vic's Meat, but it's, a, it's an amazing kind of office area. And they took me upstairs and there's Vic and he's sitting there at this table and he's smashing cherries like he's smashing cherries he's got a he's got he's got a box two boxes of cherries in front of him and he's just cramming them down right and he's like buddy have a cherry i was like okay and mate i'll tell you what i at that point in my life i'd never even had a cherry that i liked okay that's uh i I probably only had four cherries in my whole life and i ate one of these cherries i was like jesus christ this thing is good this is a good cherry right and he goes uh so you want to be a butcher I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in it. He goes, fantastic. You can start tomorrow at two. And I was like, I was like, wow, two o'clock. That's a late start. He goes, late. 
I always thought it was early. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? He's like, 2 a.m., mate. We're starting at 2 a.m. So I, uh, I got a job um, in the boning room, right, as, a, as the apprentice there at Vicks. And uh, basically the boning room there was uh, as soon as the bodies are coming uh, off and being delivered into the factory, they come into this one room where they get weighed and then immediately they get broken up. There's a man with a very large bandsaw. He's breaking up uh, whole carcasses into primals. And they're basically chucking in front of me and two other boners there, all these different cuts of which are primals of lamb and pork. And we were boning, boning them out to spec. And honestly, I, uh, I was thrown into the deep end. Like, I remember from the three weeks before that working in a butcher shop where I asked one of the butchers um, about a about a honing steel with their, his butcher's knife. I said, uh, how does the honing steel work? And he's like, mate, you're not going to need one of those for three years. Don't worry. Right. That was that was his that was that sort of approach. Right. Like, mate, you got it. You're going to cut chicken and you're going to cut you're going to clean sausages and clean the mincer for three years before we let you touch anything. I went from this environment to all of a sudden there's bodies in front of me and I've got to cut them. And the guys next to me are guns. Like, honestly, now that I look back on it, they were some of the best butchers I've ever seen work. And I was standing right next to them, thrown in the deep end, boning stuff out. So I, I started doing that. And that was like a 2 a.m. start till, um, till about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I did that, honestly, for, for a week straight. And uh, on that weekend, the next week, I fell asleep while driving twice, right? And uh, I was like, this is, uh, unfortunately, as much as I love this, it was completely fucked, man, because like it was like my whole world was thrown on its head. It's the I I had worked at this point, you know. I was uh, I was um, I was 21, just turned 21, and I, I'd worked since I was 17, and I'd always worked jobs and I loved working, but I'd never worked a nighttime shift. And when you work at that sort of shift, man, it's uh, your whole life changes around it, you know. And uh, I wasn't ready for it, to be honest. So I uh, I was about to start my official apprenticeship at TAFE at that point. And uh, I had a meeting with Anthony uh, Paharich and it's the first time I ever met him. And I told him, I said, mate, I, uh, I really appreciate this opportunity I've been given here, but this job is wrong for me. Like I fell asleep while driving. I, I, this is not the life for me as much as I want to do this. And I felt very embarrassed and, and uh, it was very hard for me to say it because uh, I felt like I'd already, I just finished uni. I just got a degree, which I pissed off because I wasn't interested in uh, pursuing it. And I completely changed everything, went from uh, working a job where I was making almost 30 bucks an hour to a job where I was making under 15 an hour, you know, and, uh, and I was still working that other job on the side just to make enough money so that I could, because I was still, I was living with me and my partner. We were supporting ourselves, you know, so it was also a pay cut to learn and, and start from the bottom. And it was, uh, I, I was like, fuck, I've made a mistake. You know, I don't want to work at two o'clock in the morning. This is, uh, this is unfortunately not the life for me because I can tell it's very hard. And the people that were surrounded around me, at least behind them, they had years of knowledge and years of the trade. And I didn't have that. I didn't have that to, to feel like I could back myself to, to continue and stick through this job. So I spoke to Anthony about it and, and he, to his credit, he gave me the opportunity. He said, did you still want to be a butcher? And I said, absolutely. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, well, you can work in two of my shops that I have. I have this one in the fish markets and this one in, in Wallara. And, and you can work a couple of weeks at each one and you can choose which one you want to work at. I was like, that's, that's amazing. 
So uh, I started working at um, at the fish markets. And honestly, when I was there for two weeks, I was like, this is the place for me. I love this. It was, uh, it, it was the hours worked, thank God. Like it was, you know, starting at five in the morning was, is a normal thing. It's not like starting at two, right? And I was loving the day and everything. But then after that, I went to Victor Churchill and uh, I was working with Darren O'Rourke and Mickey Peacock there. Um, and Darren O'Rourke was the head butcher at the time. And Mickey Peacock has been previously the head butcher just before he left uh, the company. But, um, and those two guys, they, they really inspired me. I immediately got thrown into a place where everybody there had a passion for food. Everyone, even the people that were serving people. And I realized this is, this is what I really want. And I, and I noticed straight away, I'm lucky to be at this place because there must be, there must be, you know, heaps of blokes like me just starting, wanting to do something special in this trade and ending up where I started, which was this place for 14 bucks an hour where the butchers hated the bosses. They hated the people that walked through the door. They hated me. They hated the chicken breast in front of them, you know? So I was, uh, I, I, and I, being at Victor Churchill, it exposed me to what I would consider is high quality execution in butchery, you know, um, the, and the highest quality in terms of the finished product, which is the steak that's cut for the customer, the way that the cutlet, the cutlets are prepared and the finished product, you know, and it got me, it got my skills over the time working there, especially under Mickey and Darren uh, to a point where I could really, I could cut a steak, you know, I couldn't in the beginning, mate, I fucked up a lot. Uh, as as everybody does, you know, and uh, I I had egg on my face plenty of times, but it um, I really started honing my skills there, and I got exposed to something which was the most important thing to me, which was dry aging. Um, I'd never heard of dry aging. I'd never seen dry aging. I, I mean, I had a very a very uh, beginning understanding of meat in general, but seeing dry aged meat there and how it worked, and especially. The fact that I had been those two weeks at, at Vic's Meat at the factory and I'd seen the boning room and I'd seen the dry aging room there, it was uh, it was very inspiring. It, it very much uh, got my blood boiling about it. You know, made me made me want to be there. Made me want to be there at four thirty when when we start at five. You know. You mentioned that the whole pigs would come in and in the boning room and be broken down. What was it about that experience and your time at Victor Churchill as well that led to the idea of whole beast butchery? Well, to be honest, uh, at the at, when I was at the factory, it was overwhelming. I just had meat being thrown at me. I'd dodge it, mate. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd be cut. I'd be cutting up meat, and some bloke would just come up to me and he'd be like, "Ah, not very good." I was like, "Shit, I don't even know how to hold a knife yet." You know, I've only been here five minutes, but, um, but you know, that, that was that experience. But then going to Victor Churchill, it was the finishing touches. It was cutting the meat for a customer or cutting a meat for a display, which is the last portion that really honed it down. But the interesting thing, you know, is um, I, I was at Victor Churchill for about a year and a bit before I had the opportunity to open up my first store, which I, I jumped on. Uh, I jumped on that opportunity, but... I had never, when I opened up first, uh, sorry, Whole Beast Butchery in 2017, I'd never even broken a whole carcass ever, to be honest. I, um, I had cut up a suckling pig the Christmas before, which was probably about 14 kilos, and that's the first time I'd had a full body in front of me uh, and my own knife to it. But 
other than that, I'd, I'd never broken beef. I'd seen it done maybe three or four times. Um, I'd never broken a lamb and definitely not broken pigs. And I decided that what I wanted to do was open up this shop that only bought whole carcasses and dry aged the whole carcasses and then broke them up and cut them for people. You know, and I, 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 the funny thing about the trade, you know, with learning, learning butchery, if you really become an artist at, at learning how to cut meat, you essentially, you learn A to Z, you know, you learn the A, B, C, all those steps. And then when working in a bu busy butcher shop, depending on the environment, somebody throws A at you, then E, then C, then Z, then Q, and you have to jump from step to step. You know, you have to jump from beef to pork to lamb. You have to jump from breaking a four-quarter to Frenching lamb cutlets to boning out this pork leg to – do you see what I mean? It's uh, it's very, very nuanced over time, and your skills are always, always developing. That's what I love about it. Why are pigs so well suited to whole animal butchery? Oh, Pigs are pigs are the the greatest animal in my feeling because honestly, often people are only consider certain cuts of pork, whether it's a belly or a chop, or certain cuts of pork cut certain ways, like very thin chops or pork ribs or pork square ribs. But there's so much so much to pork that that can give. You know, um, number one, pigs are the only animal really with skin. And skin is very, very versatile and underutilized. And crackling is not the only way to use skin. You know, skin can be used in so many different ways. It's just the whole head can be used in so many different ways. It's just the pigs, mate. P pigs are never ending and never they, – they just constantly give. If only they had eggs. If they had eggs and milk, we wouldn't need anything else. Well, take us through the process. You get a whole pig carcass in well, – Take us through the, the dry aging process you do with it and then how you break it down. Okay, so what, what we do with pigs, and this goes for all our carcasses, is that we get whole carcasses in. Pigs come in as a whole body with the head on. And as soon as they come into the shop, they've already been uh, – They've been slaughtered. They've All the organs are taken out. It's basically a carcass at this point. I uh, put it on a gambrel, which is a type of device that separates both legs and kind of puts it uh, in a V shape, right? And once that, that device is in place, I can cut off the head and we split the carcass right down the middle. It's done with a handsaw and it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And it's a thing that took me a very, very long time to teach myself. And every time I fucked it up, it's like, uh, you know, you can just hear the money going down the drain whenever you fuck it up, mate. It's, uh, it's, it's not a good feeling. But I, uh, I've since uh, gotten much better at it. And every time the pigs come in, the heads come off and we split that carcass in half. Then that, then that side of pork gets hung in our cool room minimum of a week to two weeks. Um, and that's in, in a room that also has dry aging beef, whether that's whole uh, short loins and rib sets, as well as carcasses of beef that are hanging to age, as well as lambs that are hanging to age. Um, all those things in those rooms, uh, they're all adding to the dry aging process. What, what I think uh, is the most important thing is it's all about method. And what dry aging is, it's a way of developing flavor 
and texture over time by controlling the environment in which the carcass is in. And that environment is controlled via temperature, humidity, and airflow. And over time, that encourages a certain type of bacteria to begin to encapsulate the room, develop around the meat, and essentially ferment and rot the meat, but in a controlled format. And whilst that's happening, there is... Uh, there is moisture that is inside the muscle that is slowly being drawn from the center to the outside. That's what develops the flavor of the meat in the similar way that if you had a liter of liquid like stock and reduced it down by half a liter, you would have less liquid, but a concentrated flavor. It's a, that, that's an analogy. It's not exactly the same process, but it's a similar way of understanding how dry aging develops flavor. The other thing that will happen is that naturally the enzymes inside the muscle will start to break down the fibers. What that essentially does it adds to the texture. Not only does it does it make the tender parts more tender, but the texture itself becomes more defined. The third aspect of dry aging, which is often overlooked, is the external drying. The external drying of meat is one of the most important things in achieving a good quality sear and mylard reaction. A lot of people, you know, um, one of the funny things about pork, right, if we want to talk about crackling and specifically, I mean, I know your podcast is named after crackling. A lot of people buy pork and then they take a bunch of extra steps before they cook it to achieve crackling. I'm sure you've heard and a lot of people have discussed this, whether they, uh, they, they pour boiling water over it, they leave it open in the fridge, they cover it with salt, they sacrifice a chicken to the, to the red moon on the 1st of September to make the crackling happen. Mate, crack, good crackling is going to come from a well-hung animal because a well-hung animal under the right conditions has external dryness. And not only do you get all the other benefits of tenderization and flavor development, but you're going to get that crackling. And it's not just crackling, you know. You can achieve a very, very dry, almost crackling-like uh, outcome on beef, even lamb. You know, a lot of people say when they buy lamb at my shop, they're like, oh, they, they refer to the lamb, the skin on the lamb, to which I always kind of, I kind of correct them that it's not actually skin. That's a fat layer, but it, it's got that external dryness. And that's part of the result of dry aging. What's some of the products that you make from the pigs uh, in the butchery? Mm, well, there, there's a whole bunch of different things that we make. I mean, we, it, it all comes down to different types of method. Essentially, um, you have your, your sausages that we make, which are we always make them. Everything that we make in the shop, sorry, we, we make with original recipes and we make them all from scratch. We also make them without nitrates. Uh, everything I make is with salt. And if it's something that's cured, it might have sugar, might not, uh, but it's always with salt. So we've got fresh sausages that we make in natural casings. We've got emulsified sausages that we make, which is essentially uh, mincing meat to a, a paste form and then chucking it in a machine called a buffalo cutter or a bowl cutter that whips the meat to a very, very fine paste-like consistency, which is then poached or steamed. We have uh, dry-cured products that we make, like bacon. 
Uh, we have smoked products that we make. Uh, we make a lot of cold smoked as well as hot smoked products. And we do a lot of variations of cold and then hot smoking. Um, we've got things that we make that are wet brined and cured and also smoked like ham. Uh, we make a whole bunch of different stuff, mate. It's all, it's all about utilizing everything from the pig. The reason why pigs are so good for charcuterie and uh, salami making and, and all these things that we're talking about is that there is a natural moisture content to the protein, to the actual meat, as well as the fat that is not replicated with beef and lamb and other four-legged animals, and, and definitely not with poultry. That's why French people have such a hard-on for different types of fat in the pig, whether they go the leaf lard, the, the lard from the belly is so good for rendering, the lard from the back, uh, you know, the loin is is good for this. You know, they, they're very, very particular about it, and it's very, very French, but it's always uh, because of that moisture content and the way that that can uh, – it gives you that smooth richness. You know, I'm sure if you've ever had salami that's made exceptionally well with pork and then salami that's not made with pork, the non-pork ones, they're always going to have a slight dryness to it. It's going to lack that mouth-coating feel, you know. It's going to lack that sort of intensity because uh, pork, it can either be extremely intense or very, very subtle. It also leads itself to uh, – complexity of spice very very well um whether you you know and that all comes down to the sausage maker or the artisan the recipe that you want to use whether you want to go for something vibrant and light like orange zest or you want to go for something heavy and intense like chucking garlic and oregano and things like that in there you know it's uh, it's very very versatile tell us about uh, the producers that you work with is there is there any particular pig farms and that you work with to create the products that you do and what is it about what they do that's so special yeah well um i think what's important when um when finding pork producers is uh is is finding the sort of breeds of pork that you're looking for because the as well as the environment in which that pork is raised where that animal is being killed you know, these, these are all really important aspects. I've been currently buying some pork uh, very recently from uh, Kanawindra, which is a, a farm, Rafalo free-range pork, just up there near Orange, in between Orange and Cowra. And uh, I've been buying uh, Hampshire Duroc crosses from uh, from these guys over there, and, and they've been excellent so far. Uh, we've just started getting – we've got about four bodies in from them so far. And, uh, you know, that, that pork, for me, it's, it, they're very nice – nice uh, crossbreed of pork that, that kind of leads to a good amount of fat on, uh, on the loin, you know, quite thick, heavy bellies, quite nice, well-rounded uh, shoulders. Uh, for, for me, when, when purchasing carcasses, uh, the muscle conformation is very, very important into the quality of the meat. And certain breeds of animals have certain tendencies towards muscle conformation. For me, something that's dense, heavy, and stocky, that kind of has that, that bit of a longer life cycle, but develops that fat nice and slowly and, and gets quite thick, dense muscle, that, that for me is what I'm looking for. And uh, that, the pigs that we've been buying recently – They've been very, very good from uh, Kanawindra. What sort of impact has creating this business and learning the art of butchery had on uh, your knowledge of food and, and the cookery of it? Mate, it, it's, had a, it's had a lot of impact. I mean, uh, I have – I kind of thought of a philosophy in the beginning, which is whole animals and dry-aging them. 
And uh, I kind of stuck with that philosophy over five years now. And I've realized for me that that is the future of meat and butchery. And I, uh, I kind of wouldn't ever stray away from that. What it's kind of realized for me personally is that dry aging of meat is the superior method of developing quality and flavor. And the way of doing that is going to a butcher shop that works with carcasses because people that are working direct with farmers or direct with abattoirs and getting whole bodies in their shop, not only are they practicing a more, you know, a more unique, but also old school holistic form of butchery, but they're going to be able to provide you with everything. The other thing is though, buying meat is supposed to have limitations. I'll give you an example, mate. Nobody should be buying a kilo of lamb shoulder. A kilo of lamb shoulder does not exist. Lambs have shoulders, and the shoulder is the size of the shoulder that was on that carcass, you know? And it's uh, it, it, I know it's, it's very controversial to say shit like this because it, it, it steps on a lot of people's toes, and it pisses off a lot of people. But, you know, it, it's all about the format of how meat is broken down, the format of how it's sold on a mass market, you know, and the format of how people think it needs to be eaten and cooked. You know, you want to give another example of this. You can just look at chicken wings, mate, and you can think about how many chicken wings people eat in one meal when they want to sit down to chicken wings and how oblivious and taking for granted they are the life of that animal and all the labor and all the work and the logistics and the supply chain that goes into that animal's death to end up as food. And it's not just that. It's because that we take that for granted that that whole industry starts to become industrialized farming in air quotes. And then people are up in arms about shit chickens that taste like the cages that they grew up in, you know, but that's the reality of the situation. If you don't want to focus on whole animals and that, that's what my focus is. You know, it's about, it's about whole animals and it's about dry aging. Well, as we move closer to Christmas and summer, a time where ham becomes a staple, what's the key to a good ham and what should people be looking for? Oh, mate, the key to a good ham is you want to find a good person that you trust to make the ham. If you are buying meat from someone and you trust that their meat is good and you trust their pork is good, I would buy ham from that person, you know, because uh, those butchers and those those business owners out there that are producing those hams, it's a big part of their business and it's a real big focus for them at the end of the year. It's not just that though. They've got many, many other things that they're going to have to cut for people over that time. That's many bodies. That's many carcasses, many sausages to make, you know, a, a lot of people that, um, that we're trying to all cater for. So if you've got a bu good butcher out there and you trust them, you should buy your ham from that butcher, especially if you like things like their sausages, especially if you like their pork, you, you should trust that they're going to make a good ham, you know? And uh, also people should be glazing their hams. Everybody should glaze their ham because it's the funnest way to do it. And it's the best way to eat it, honestly. And uh, people that don't glaze their hams, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I reckon you got to glaze it. Um, I'm also not a big believer in Turkey. I'm not a fan of it. So uh, if you're thinking about getting a turkey this year, how about you reconsider maybe buy a good ham from a good butcher? You had a, a epiphany to move into the food sector and butchery caught your eye and you've made an incredible mm. impact uh, with, with whole beast butchery. What is it that you love about what you do? Oh, mate, well, I, I love that 
I have put myself in a position where I possess a, a level of knowledge to do something from A to Z, from start to finish. And because I'm at that point now, I'm now at the point in my career where every day I'm only executing my skills and getting better at them every day. Every day is a new challenge for me. It's constantly the same job, but every time that job is different. You know, I'm, I'm excited to go to work every single day because I get to I get to do something I love and I get to work with food. And over the years, I, I feel like I've developed a reputation for my shop and uh, and and a really good customer base of I've always got new people walking through the door. I've always got people coming back saying how happy they are with their meat. And I have people that are willing to come back and buy different things every time they come. And that's the most important thing to me in my shop is that I want people to buy a dry aged rump steak, think it's the best steak they've ever had. And then they buy a lamb shoulder and that's the best lamb they've ever had. And they buy some pork and fennel sausages and they might think that's the best pork and fennel they've ever had. You know, I'm not, I'm not out there to be the best. I don't want to put that across. I'm out there to do my best. And I'm out there to make sure that everybody really, if they buy anything from my shop, they can feel the hard work and dedication and the time and effort that me and my team are putting in to the products that we're trying to sell. You know, the other thing that we do at my shop, not only do we, do we, uh, you know, we cut everything by hand with hand saws and cleavers, but I serve every single customer personally when they come in 90% of the meat, 95% of the meat that's displayed in my shop, they're all in primals. They're in big pieces. Everything needs to be cut one more time for that person to get their piece of meat. And that allows me to have a very private, personal discussion with every single person to make sure that I can cater a meal for them. Some people love that and some people froth on it. Other people, they're not interested. Uh, They don't want to go into a little bit of extra depth. That's fine. I'm here to serve everybody that comes in. But I want everybody to be given the same amount of time. And if somebody has to wait five minutes behind uh, behind Anthony, then the person behind him might have to wait another five minutes while I serve that person. But then they're going to get their five minutes. You know, it's like getting a haircut. If you want me to rush, I'll cut your ears. You know? So uh, let's uh, let's cool it down. Let's have a chat. How many people are we feeding? What are we looking for? What are you looking to do? How do you want to do it? Do you have exactly in mind what you want or are you an open book? Let's decide together. You know, it, it excites me every day. I love working with people. I love talking with people and I love cutting meat, mate. I, uh, I froth on it. Well, you're an inspiration, Marcus, and we've loved having you on The Crackling today to hear your story. No doubt there's so much more to it, so please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. I, uh, I appreciate the chance to talk here. You know, I, um, it, 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 it means a lot that you have a platform of talking to very interesting people and you thought that I was somebody of merit to talk to, honestly. So uh, I really appreciate that, mate. I do hope we get a chance to meet in person and that one day you can come to my shop and see what it's all about. I'm very much looking forward to that, Marcus. Take care. Thank you, Anthony. Bye-bye. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.